0: Hello, this is Father John, Arthur, or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 51st installment, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. 133 talks prepared by Pope John Paul II, delivered in Rome between the years 1979 and 1984. We are indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein, whose edition we are using. The flesh has desires contrary to the spirit and the spirit has desires contrary to the flesh. Today, we wish to devote further study to these words of St. Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, with which we ended our reflection on the topic of the true meaning of purity last week. Paul has in mind the tension that exists in man's innermost being, in his heart. The issue is not just the body, matter, and the spirit, the soul, as two essentially distinct anthropological components that have, from the beginning, constituted man's very essence. What is presupposed is, rather, that disposition of powers formed in man together with original sin, the sin in which every historical human being shares. In this disposition, which was formed in man's innermost being, the body sets itself against the spirit and easily gains the upper hand over it. The Pauline terminology, however, signifies something more. Here, the predominance of the flesh seems to coincide with what, according to Joannine terminology, is the threefold concupiscence that comes from the world. The flesh, in the language of the letters of St. Paul, indicates not only the outer man, but also the man interiorly subjected to the world, in some way closed to the sphere of the values that belong only to the world, and of those ends that the world is able to impose on man. Values, therefore, to which man as flesh is sensitive. In this way, Paul's language seems to connect with the essential contents of John, and the language of both denotes what is defined by various terms of contemporary ethics and anthropology, as, for example, humanistic autocracy, secularism, or also, in a general sense, sensualism. The man who lives according to the flesh, sarks is the man disposed only to that which comes from the world. He is the man of the senses, the man of the threefold concupiscence. His actions confirm it, as we will say shortly. This man lives, as it were, in the pole opposite to what the Spirit wants. The Spirit of God wants a reality that differs from that willed by the flesh. It strives for a reality that differs from the one the flesh strives for, already in man's interior, already at the inner wellspring of man's aspirations and actions, so that you do not do what you want. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul expresses this point even more explicitly when he writes elsewhere about the evil he does, although he does not will it, and about the impossibility, or rather, the limited possibility of accomplishing the good he wills. See Romans chapter 7 verse 19. Without entering into a detailed exegesis of this text, one could say that the tension between the flesh and the spirit is first imminent, although it is not reducible to this level. It manifests itself in man's heart as a combat between good and evil. The desire that Christ speaks about in the Sermon on the Mount, see Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, though it is an interior act, remains certainly, according to the Pauline language, a manifestation of life according to the flesh. At the same time, that desire allows us to Verify how, within man, life according to the flesh is opposed to life according to the Spirit, and how the latter, in man's present state, given his hereditary sinfulness, is constantly exposed to the weakness and insufficiency of the former, to which he often yields, unless he is strengthened within, in order to do what the Spirit wants. We can conclude from this that Paul's words that deal with life according to the flesh and according to the Spirit are simultaneously a synthesis and a program, and one needs to understand them in this key. We find the same antithesis between life according to the flesh and life according to the Spirit in Romans. Here, too, as in Galatians, it is said in the context of the Pauline teaching about justification by faith, that is, by the power of Christ himself working in man's innermost being through the Holy Spirit. In this context, Paul carries his antithesis to its ultimate consequences when he writes, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, But those who live according to the Spirit on the things of the Spirit. But the desires of the flesh lead to death, while the desires of the Spirit lead to life and peace. In fact, the desires of the flesh are in revolt against God because they do not submit to God's law, nor are they able to. Those who live according to the flesh cannot please God. But you are not under the dominion of the flesh, but of the Spirit. From the moment that the Spirit of God dwells in you, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of justification. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 10. One can clearly see the horizons Paul sketches in this text. He goes back to the beginning, that is, in this case, to the first sin, which was the origin of life according to the flesh and which created in man the inheritance of a predisposition for living such a life, together with the heritage of death. At the same time, Paul looks ahead toward the final victory over sin and over death, of which Christ's resurrection is a sign and pre-announcement. The one who raised Jesus from the dead will give life also to your mortal bodies by his Spirit, which dwells in you, Romans 2 chapter 8, verse 11. In this eschatological perspective, Paul stresses the justification in Christ, intended already for historical man, for every human being of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, in the history of the world, and also the history of salvation, a justification that is essential for the inner man, and is intended precisely for that heart to which Christ appealed when he spoke about purity and impurity in the moral sense. This justification by faith does not constitute simply a dimension of the divine plan of salvation and of man's sanctification, but according to St. Paul it is a real power at work in man that reveals and affirms itself in his actions, works of the flesh and fruits of the Spirit. Here again are the words of Galatians. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-mastery, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 23. In Paul's teaching, life according to the flesh opposes life according to the spirit, not only in man's interior in his heart, but As one can see, it finds a wide and differentiated field for translating itself into works. Paul speaks, on the one hand, about works born from the flesh. One could say works in which the man who lives according to the flesh manifests himself. And, on the other hand, about the fruit of the Spirit. That is, about actions, modes of behavior and virtues, in which the man who lives according to the Spirit manifests himself. While in the first case we are dealing with the man abandoned to the threefold concupiscence, about which John says that it comes from the world, in the second case we are faced with what we have already called the ethos of redemption. Only now are we able to clarify fully the nature and the structure of this ethos. It expresses itself through that which, in man, in all his working, in actions and behavior, is the fruit of mastery over the threefold concupiscence of the flesh, of the eyes, and of the pride of life, of all that the human heart can rightly be accused of, and that man and his interiority can continually be suspected of. If mastery in the sphere of ethos manifests and realizes itself as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-mastery, as we read in Galatians, then behind each of these realizations, these forms of behavior, these moral virtues, stands a specific choice that is an effort of the will, a fruit of the human spirit permeated by the Spirit of God, which manifests itself in choosing the good. To speak in Paul's language, the Spirit has desires contrary to the flesh. Galatians 5, verse 17. And in these desires it proves to be stronger than the flesh, and the desires brought into being by the threefold concupiscence. In this struggle between good and evil, man proves to be stronger thanks to the power of the Holy Spirit, who, working within the human spirit, causes its desires to bear fruit in the good. These are therefore not only and not so much works of man, but more a fruit that is in effect of the action of the spirit in man. This is why Paul speaks about the fruit of the spirit understanding this word with a capital letter. Without entering into the structures of human interiority by means of the suitable distinctions provided for us by systematic theology, especially beginning with Thomas Aquinas, we limit ourselves to a synthesis of biblical teaching that allows us to grasp in an essential and sufficient way the distinction and antithesis between flesh and the Spirit. We observe that among the fruits of the Spirit, the Apostle also mentions self-mastery. We should not forget this point, because in our further reflections, we will take up this subject again to discuss it in more detail. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concluded his 51st Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. As always in these conferences given by our Holy Father, there is so much here, and in order for us to better grasp it, it's good for us to see where we are and where we're going. This is chapter 2 of Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, Christ Appeals to the Human Heart. Christ, our Lord, did not come to preach to the puppy dogs or the fish of the sea or the birds of the air, but to human beings." He became like us in all things but sin, to save us from our sins. And his heart speaks to our hearts, not only during his earthly ministry, but even now from the Father's right hand. He speaks to us still in prayer, in sacred scripture, in the sure and certain teaching of Mother Church. Christ has appealed to the human heart, and he continues to appeal to our hearts. Be converted. Take up your cross and live. Turn away from sin. Embrace the gospel. This is the appeal to the human heart. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. This part of chapter 2 focuses on purity as life according to the Spirit. And in the last conference, number 50, Pope John Paul II was making a distinction between internal and external purity, corporeal and spiritual purity. Purity is life according to the Spirit, the Spirit of God which calls us to holiness, which strengthens us to reject sin and Satan and the glamour of evil in our lives. The Spirit of holiness, the Spirit of truth, which has us embrace the truth of our own nature, our own bodilyness, our own call to chastity, which is one of the natural virtues. There is even another purity, however, purity of doctrine, So often we use the term purity only regarding sexual matters, but in point of fact, a purity of doctrine, to believe the apostolic faith and only the apostolic faith, to believe the faith handed on once for all, as St. Jude writes in sacred scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit. Another subdivision of this chapter 2, body and spirit according to St. Paul. So Pope John Paul II in this 51st catechesis is not trying to build his house on sand. He's trying to understand sacred scripture. St. Paul, the author of the majority of the New Testament inspired by God. So in order to have a theology of the body, to recognize how we are created male and female, In the divine image, Pope John Paul II bases himself in part on the writings of St. Paul. What does St. Paul say about the human body? What does he say about the mystical body of Christ, which is Mother Church? What does he say about the sacramental body of Christ, which is the Holy Eucharist? And what does St. Paul have to say about the Spirit, the Spirit of God, which is able to discern human hearts, the source of the inspiration of sacred scripture, the inspired word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing between bone and marrow. So Pope John Paul II examines what St. Paul has to say about our corporality and our spirituality, since we are body-soul composites. Not just our body, not just our soul. Christ has come to redeem us whole and entire, our whole selves. and In the resurrection of the just on the last day, our bodies and souls will be reunited on high to share the bliss and the glory of heaven. And for those who die unrepentant, who die in their sins, their body and soul will be reunited, yet have a different destination, one where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth, where the fire and the worm die not. Pope John Paul II focuses our attention in this 51st Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, on the works of the flesh, and the fruit of the Spirit. So that's kind of like code for good living and bad living, the works of the flesh tied to sin. But not just sexual sins, carnal sins, sins against chastity and modesty and purity, but any and all sins are sins of the flesh because our flesh is part of our fallen nature, whereas the flip side, the fruit of the Spirit, that is code, if you will, for holy and righteous living, living according to the holy will, the holy law of God, which is only possible by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. This is a brief overview of the major underpinnings of this 51st Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body of Pope John Paul II. The Holy Father focuses our attention on the true meaning of purity, not content to focus only on physical purity. I have dirty feet from walking without shoes and socks. I have dirty hands from working hard in the fields or in other employ. That's one understanding of purity or impurity, but there is a spiritual purity, and the Holy Father addressed this in an earlier catechesis when he cites the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is not what is from without or outside of a man, but what comes from within, what comes from the heart. That's what makes us impure or unclean. So the Holy Father is addressing the true meaning of purity. And we who have been washed and saved in the blood of the Lamb, the saving waters of baptism, and for those sins committed sadly after baptism in the sacrament of penance, we are made pure by the grace and mercy of God, which is not foreign to his justice since Christ has paid the price on Calvary's height for my sins and yours and those of all the world. But it is we who accept and seek out and receive his grace and mercy in the here and now who have a blessed life in the here and now and a hope, a justified hope for eternal glory. Pope John Paul II draws our attention in this 51st Catechesis. Man and woman, he created them a theology of the body to the Pauline terminology regarding the flesh. The Greek word sarx is used, and it is used in a material or an outer order and in an ethical or an inner order. The material outer order of the flesh, of sarx, has to do with our physiology. With our corporality, I have a body, you have a body, you have fingers, I have fingers, you have toes, I have toes, and everything in between. That's the materiality of our flesh, sarks, our bodies. But the ethical or the inner order of the flesh since the fall, since original sin, it is with a tendency to do evil. And so when I succumb to that tendency to concupiscence, then I am doing the works of the flesh in the pejorative not working out with fear and trembling my salvation, according to God's grace and mercy, but I eat and drink and other things unto my condemnation. And the same is true for you. Pope John Paul II does not limit himself, however, to the Pauline terminology regarding flesh, sarks, the material and ethical orders, but he shows the correspondence between these terms and the Johannine terminology. Pauline terminology is, has its root in the words of St. Paul. What did St. Paul say, inspired by God in the sacred scripture? Joannine terminology has its root, its origin, in what St. John, the beloved, the apostle, the author of the fourth gospel, in the book of Revelation, in the many letters. What did St. John say, inspired by God? And the Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, draws our attention to the threefold concupiscence, that tendency to sin with our eyes, with our bodies, and through a pride of life. The Holy Father has spent earlier presentations in his magnum opus, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, treating just that. The Holy Father, who himself was a professor of ethics, morality, at the Catholic University of Lublin, which is now named after him, Pope John Paul II, Catholic University of Lublin, addresses ethical issues in this catechesis. He says contemporary ethics and Anthropology, <clears throat> identify a humanistic autocracy, identify secularism, and identify sensualism as corresponding to the threefold concupiscence of the flesh, of the eyes, of the pride of life, in the words of St. John, or the works of the flesh of the Sark's, according to St. Paul. I had to look up in the dictionary the meaning of the term autarky which Merriam-Webster says means absolute sovereignty, autoarcha, so self-governing, I guess. And so a humanistic autocracy means I don't even consider the law of God. I don't consider the natural law. I just do whatever the heck I want to do. And that is definitely the pride of life. There's no question. Secularism in its own vein is similar. So we only consider this world. We don't consider the next world our origins, or our goal? Are we meant for this life only, or is there something beyond death? To be a secularist is to disregard these ancient-most questions of human longing and understanding. And essentialism sensualism is concerned with what feels good. Oh, I like the way this is, so I'm going to do it. it. It makes me feel good. I like the pleasure involved, or what? It's not to say the senses are bad, but they are to be directed according to, to reason. If we are rational beings, and indeed we are, that is part of what is proper to our nature. Pope John Paul II in this 51st Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, shows that there is a dichotomy between life according to the flesh and life according to the spirit. And this is so as long as what is understood by the flesh means the fallen nature uh, and the works of the flesh, which St. Paul lists as so many different sorts of sins. Life according to the Spirit is not lived out of the body, it is an incarnate living. We live, but Christ lives within us. Pope John Paul II, here in this 51st Catechesis, reminds us that man's present state is one of hereditary sinfulness to which we often yield. So if there are those who have been overconfident, not denying the redemption, Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ will come again. But the truth of the matter is we are fallen beings and the eschaton has not yet begun Christ has won the victory over the cross, over sin and death, but it's still being worked out in us. So we are never to forget that our present state is one of hereditary sinfulness, with what we have received with our human nature, original sin and its consequences, suffering, death, ignorance, a tendency to do evil, or concupiscence. And that's the second part of man's present state. We often yield to this hereditary sinfulness, not only what I have inherited with my human nature, but what I have done myself. We are responsible for our deeds, what good we have done by God's grace, and what evil we have done or good we have failed to do because we have spurned God's grace. And call to holiness. So if in a sense it's it's a hard part of the gospel to remember our present state of hereditary sinfulness to which we often yield, Pope John Paul II does give a beautiful, optimistic or future oriented look. He said Paul looks ahead toward the final victory over sin and death, of which Christ's resurrection is a sign and a pre announcement. So even though we wail in this valley of tears, we know that Good Friday was not the end. We saw sin and its consequences with our Lord, our Savior, nailed to the cross on Calvary's height, but on the third day he rose. And 40 days after his resurrection, he ascended to the Father's right hand, where he intercedes for us unceasingly, from whence he sent the Spirit with his Father upon his bride-mother church, that the apostles might might not live in fear, but might be zealous in spreading and fostering faith, converting the world to faith in Christ Jesus. Pope John Paul II reminds us in this 51st Catechesis that for St. Paul, the justification by faith is a real power at work in us that reveals and affirms itself in our actions. If I have been justified, I act in a justified way. I live according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh, not a slave to my passions, not a slave to sin. Pope John Paul II cites St. Paul's letter to the Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 23, which presents to us both the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Obviously, fornication, impurity, and orgies are sins of the flesh we would often enough think about, but the Holy Father points out that works of the flesh are not only "...sins of lust, but also jealousy, anger, and quarrels." Although sometimes people are jealous over sexuality, or angry over sexuality, or fight over sexuality. "...but also the fruit of the Spirit, self-mastery, and patience. And if I am a chaste man, I am self-possessed. I am not a slave to sin, or to any of the vices." lust being one of them. Patience, as a virtue and as a fruit of the Spirit, allows us to wait until marriage to engage in that nuptial embrace. That allows us to experience periodic continence so as to regulate morally, licitly, the conception and birth of children, of offspring, in the image and likeness of God. The other fruits of the Spirit, or fruit of the Spirit, singular, love, joy, joy, peace, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness. We could actually have just a whole program just on the fruit of the Spirit. And in point of fact, that would be worthwhile. But we will continue our meditations on the theology of the body, man and woman, he created them, and perhaps take up the fruit of the Spirit on another occasion. For Pope John Paul II, having reached this 51st catechesis, Man and woman, he created them a theology of the body. He says, Now the structure and the nature of the ethos of redemption has been clarified by our actions, by our behaviors, by our mastery over the threefold concupiscence. Any and all of this only possible by God's grace. Won at so great a price on Calvary's height by Jesus Christ, who died and who has risen and who lives forever and will return in glory to judge the living and the dead, may He find us ready and eager to welcome Him. Until next time, God bless you.